0: If you have your Bibles, we're going to sit under the preached Word of God this morning. Please turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 29. Genesis chapter 29. We are going to read the first 30 verses of this chapter together. Genesis chapter 29 verse 1 says this, Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east, As he looked, he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it, for out of that well the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large, and when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep, and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob said to them, my brothers, where do you come from? They said, we are from Haran. He said to them, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, we, we know him. He said to them, is it well with him? They said, it is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. He said, behold, it is still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go pasture them. But they said, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled away from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud, and Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son, and she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Jacob told Laban all these things, and Laban said to him, surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel. And he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went in to her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, It is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah. And served Laban for another seven years. Amen. May God bless the preaching of his word this morning. Friends, to be a scheming person, to to be a scheming person is to be a person who is seen as as crafty and and deceitful. To, To be a scheming person is to be a person who deals in underhanded ways, who is manipulative and conniving. To to be a schemer is is to take matters into your own hands, to, to have no scruples in life, to have no morals, to do whatever it takes to get ahead, even while trying to keep up appearances and to sound like you are a person of morals and a person of principles. Dolores Umbridge from Harry Potter is a scheming person. George Wickham from Pride and Prejudice is a scheming person. Loki from the Avengers is a scheming person. Wormtongue from the Lord of the Rings is a scheming person. Mayor Hundinger from the Paw Patrol is a scheming and conniving person. These are all people who lie and, and cheat to get ahead. They, they are wily and slick. They, they are the stereotypical car salesmen and lawyers in the movies that we watch and the stories that we read. And folks... Jacob and his sweet uncle Laban fit perfectly with them all. If there was an award for who was the most scheming character in the book of Genesis, I think that both Jacob and Laban would probably tie for first place. But friends, what we see in the story of Jacob and Laban here in chapter 29, and in many other stories of schemers as well, is that there is a better way to live than to be a scheming, deceitful, underhanded person. Your scheming might get what you want at first, but in the end, those who scheme, rather than trusting the Lord, they are always disappointed, and their scheming often does great harm to those around them. Folks, here's the main idea for our message today. It is simply this, the salvation and sovereignty of God is superior to the scheming ways of man. The salvation and sovereignty of God is superior to the scheming ways of man. And we have three points this morning. Point number one, the joy of our salvation. Point number two, the pain of our scheming. And point number three, the hope of God's sovereignty. Okay, those are our three points. Let's begin with the first. Point number one, the joy of our salvation. Friends, Jacob was... A schemer, right? His his name means literally heel grabber. He he stole his brother's birthright and then he deceived his blind father to get the blessing as well. It doesn't get much worse than Jacob in the story. But church family, God has used the story of Jacob in chapters 25 to 27 to reveal a lot of truth about ourselves as well, right? Friend, if you can't see yourself in the life of Jacob. You are not being honest with yourself. We are all schemers like Jacob was. You, friend, are no more worthy of God's blessing and God's favor than Jacob ever was. Folks, take a minute this morning and think about who you would be apart from Jesus. Think about who you would be apart from the gospel of grace, apart from God's mercy. Who would you be today? Friend, don't, don't, don't try to polish your heart up in your own eyes. You don't need to. Don't, don't try to make yourself look better than you are. Friend, you're not. Folks, I am Jacob. You, you are Jacob. We, we are all schemers. We're all manipulative, selfish, proud deceivers. Apart from Jesus, you and I would be far from this place. Can I get an amen on that? This is who we are. But listen, listen, this is not... Who Jacob still is. No, this is who Jacob was, but something has happened to Jacob. Well what has happened to him? Well, the joy of God's salvation has happened to Jacob, right? Last week, Jason preached an excellent message from Genesis chapter 28. J- Jacob was, was running for his life, right? His twin brother Esau wants to, to kill him because of the things that he has done. But but in the middle of this, this fearful fleeing from Esau, something extraordinary happens to Jacob. Uh, up in chapter 28, verse 12, God comes to Jacob and he shows him this, this ladder, this, this stairway or this building with stairs on it between heaven and earth. And in that moment, God promises to, to be with Jacob and with his descendants. And, and Jason showed us last week that that ladder is actually a picture of Jesus himself, Right? Jesus himself said that God's people would ascend and descend on the Son of Man. Jesus is the ladder; He connects heaven and hell. Friends, listen. The door of heaven is closed to people like Jacob. That The door of heaven is closed to people like you and me. But when Jesus, the, the very Son of God, came in flesh and he lived a perfect life, And he died on the cross, and then he rose from the dead. In those things, the way has now been opened back to the Father. Heaven is open before us. Salvation is offered to everyone who believes in him. This is the gospel. None of us are too far gone in our sinful, scheming ways to not be saved by the grace of God. This is what we saw last week. Church, Jacob had a conversion experience. This encounter with God changed him. It it humbled Jacob. It it turned Jacob from his old ways. It transformed his life and his relationship with God in a new way. And we begin to see how it changed him here in chapter 29. First of all, look at verse 1. Verse 1, it says, Then Jacob went on his journey. Now, folks, this is very interesting because in Hebrew, the, the word used here for, for Jacob going on his journey, it's not a normal word that is used there. there. There are other Hebrew words that could be used to describe Jacob going on a journey. But the word that is used here is very different. It literally means Jacob picked up his feet and walked. That, that phrase is not seen anywhere else in the Old Testament. And it seems very significant that it's placed here. He, he picked up his feet and he moved Commentators would say he moved forward eagerly. Many commentators would say that he moved forward with cheer and joy in his heart. He picked up his feet. You you almost get this picture that because of his encounter with God and the grace that has been given, he's skipping along on his journey. He's moving forward full of faith. Friends, that's not the same Jacob that we saw before. Something's different. And friends, we see the change even more as the story continues. Verses 1 and 2, we see Jacob arrive at this well, and there are a lot of shepherds and a lot of sheep at the well. Verse 4, Jacob talks to these shepherds who, who appear to, to not be doing their job, right? right? Verse 7 tells us that it's still high day. The, the shepherds should be hurrying to water the sheep and to go let the sheep graze in the fields. The sheep should, should be moving. They should be grazing for as many hours as possible. But these shepherds do not seem to be in a hurry at all. There seems to be a laziness on their part. But but Jacob doesn't like what they're doing. He he calls them out in verse 7. He says, water the sheep and go pasture them. He basically says, go go get to work. Folks, listen, that that does not seem like the same Jacob either, does it? Up until this point, Jacob has never seemed interested in a legitimate day of work before. Jacob's all about cutting corners, It seems like Jacob should have gotten along great with these lazy shepherds, doesn't it? But he doesn't. Something's changed. Something's shifted in who Jacob is. And friends, we see that difference even more when Rachel arrives with her sheep at the well. Jacob is so eager to greet her, he runs, and he by himself moves the rock, the stone that is on the well, probably to protect dust from going into the well. He moves it, and that seems pretty significant here. The shepherd said that they couldn't remove the rock. But, but Jacob goes up and he moves it by himself. Either this is God empowering Jacob in a particular way, or it's Jacob wanting to impress the girl in front of him, showing his, his muscles, or it's just his eagerness for what comes next that makes him move forward full of faith. We, we don't know exactly, but Jacob, we know this, Jacob has become a man of action. It's different than who he was before. And then finally, we see something different in Jacob and how eager he is to serve Rachel, right? Verse 10 says that he watered the entire flock for Rachel. Friends, is this the first time that we have seen Jacob do something for someone else other than himself in the story? He, he serves, he, he waters her entire flock. And then verse 11, we see him greet her so eagerly. He, he kisses Rachel, and then he, he weeps aloud. Both of these things were incredibly uncommon. No man would ever kiss a woman that was not his wife in that day. And, and this expression of emotion would not have been normal either. either. Jacob is different. He's changed. He's so eager to move forward. He's anticipating and pursuing what God has for him next. Why? Because he has hope. He has joy now because he had a conversion experience. Listen, his sins have been forgiven. The night before, Jacob had gone to bed fearful of what would happen. The night before, he had gone to bed fully aware of his many failures. His failure as a man, his failure as a brother, his failure as a son. He went to bed probably assuming that the covenant with God was forever broken. He went to bed condemned and fearful of what what consequences were still to come for his sinful mistakes. But then he encountered the God of all grace. Then he encountered God himself who told him that he would never hold his sins against him. God who promised that he would be with him and never forsake him. God was not going to hold Jacob's many sins against him. And Jacob believed God at his word. Church, Jacob ended the one day condemned under the weight of his sin. And he woke up the next morning with a bounce in his step. Why? Because he had been forgiven. The burden had been removed. Jacob picked up his feet. He moves forward quickly, not, not out of fear of Esau hunting him down. No, he picks up his feet and moves out of joy for what God has done and out of eager anticipation for all that God will continue to do. He believes that God is going before him, just like God said that he would. Christian, let me ask you this question. Do you still know the sort of this sort of joyful confidence and eagerness in your own life? Do you still have a bounce in your step like you did when you first became a Christian? Or have you lost joy? Have you lost hope and confidence that you you first felt when you were a baby Christian? Redeemer Fellowship, let's not forget this, okay? Let's not lose our joy. And and how do we not lose our joy? You might ask, well, friends, we don't lose our joy by, by never forgetting that we too were schemers like Jacob that we deserve the wrath of God, but that God does not hold our sins against us. That he's not hunting us down, wanting us to pay for our mistakes like Esau was, but rather that he is welcoming us in, wanting us to know peace and hope and his love in a perfect way. Redeemer fellowship, let's not lose our joy i got to be honest, this is probably one of my biggest prayer requests as one of your pastors. I pray all the time, Lord, help us to be a joyful church. Help us not to lose joy in the midst of the difficulties of this life. Help us to be a happy place. Help us to sing and shout and dance because of what you have done for us and because of how much greater that is than all that is happening around us. Help us to never lose our joy. Lord, help us to never lose our joy even... When the path that you call us to walk is filled with pain and sorrow and regret. Help us to experience the joy of our salvation even when we still have to deal with the pain of this world. Friends, that brings us to our second point this morning. Point number two, the pain of our scheming. Verses 1 to 12 primarily show us the positive change in Jacob. He he had a conversion experience, and he is eager to move forward and to experience all that God has for him. He is is full of faith in this moment. What What a wonderful experience. But starting in verse 13, Jacob's joy and confidence and hope in God are going to be severely tested, aren't they? Why? Well, because in verse 13 we meet Laban again. Good old Laban. If you remember back in chapter twenty-four, when, when Abraham's servant had gone to Laban to find a wife for Isaac, Laban, when Abraham's servant had come to him, was was very hospitable. But it was also clear that Laban was a schemer back then as well. Because back in chapter 24, Laban was was very happy to receive the, the rich and expensive gifts that Abraham's servant had to give him. And then he tried to keep Abraham's servant from returning too quickly. He wanted him to spend more time, likely because he wanted to receive more gifts from him. Laban seemed to be a schemer in 24. But now we see his scheming ways on full display here in chapter 29. But verses 13 to 14, Laban welcomes Jacob into his family, and Jacob stays with him for a month's time. And then at the end of that month, Laban looks at Jacob and he says, because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me what shall your wages be? Very interesting way to ask that question. It, it seems like he is baiting Jacob. Laban likely knows that Jacob loves his daughter Rachel, and because Jacob doesn't have any money to give as a dowry, Laban is hoping to get some free labor out of him. And so he poses this question. And sure enough, verses 16 to 17, we learn about Laban's two daughters. It says he had two daughters. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Folks, we don't exactly know what it means that Leah's eyes were weak. Uh, We do know that bright eyes were definitely a primary form of beauty in that culture. And so it could be that Leah's eyes were just not as bright, maybe even dull compared to Rachel's, or maybe even that she was cross-eyed to some degree. We don't know exactly. But but with the description of Rachel as, as beautiful in form and in appearance, it is clear that Jacob was greatly attracted to Rachel and not to Leah. And verse 18, he tells Laban that he wants to marry Rachel. He says, I will serve you seven years for your young daughter, Rachel. And sure enough, Laban is eager to get some free labor from him. And so he agrees to Jacob's proposal. And then in verse 20, we read this beautiful line. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love that he had for her. He served Laban for seven years. Years. That, that's a long time. And then, verse 21, Jacob says this. He says to Laban, Give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. He says, I've worked my time. I've, I'm ready to marry Rachel. Give her to me, please. Very interestingly in the text, we we do not see any verbal response from Laban in verse 22. No, he just begins to make wedding arrangements. He doesn't verbally agree to give Rachel to Jacob. He just acts as if they are in agreement. And then probably after just one day of celebration, the first day of a seven-day feast and celebration for the wedding, at the end of the first day, verse 23, in the evening, Laban took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob And Jacob went in to her. Folks, this is horrible. Can you imagine this? Expecting to marry one person, but waking up to find out that you slept with her sister. Some might even wonder how this is even possible. Like, how does this thing happen? But then you think about the dark veils that a bride would have worn. You think about that it was nighttime and that there was there were no light. You think about the fact that Jacob probably had a whole lot of alcohol in his system. It's, it's the perfect opportunity for a deceit like this to occur. But this is horrible. This is evil. Laban's sinful, scheming ways are so bad in this moment. Jacob says, what is this you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? And Laban says, almost nonchalantly, it is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one. Keep faith. Hold up this, this wedding celebration. And then we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Folks, what in the world? How evil, how corrupt this is. How deceitful to Jacob. How, how unloving to his daughters. For Laban to treat Leah and Rachel like property, to, to, to benefit from. And as we'll see in the next chapter, this, this scheming on Laban's part is a recipe for disaster. Bigamy, marrying two people at once is never a good idea, but that's just not even beginning to touch what it is to marry two sisters and the drama that can ensue. Friends, this is the pain of our scheming. The pain from our sinful scheming ways is, is real. It's real. We feel it deeply. And, and listen, I think the pain from our scheming ways can be noticed in two ways here. I think that there is the pain of our own scheming ways, and I think that there is the pain of the scheming of other people against us. And I think we need to consider them both this morning. First of all, consider the pain of our own scheming. Folks, the reality is, this, in this text, Jacob, the deceiver, is out-deceived. He, he's been out-schemed. His own sinful tendencies from the past are what come back to haunt him in the present. God has a lesson for him through Laban's sin. And friends, I think that that's important to see. See, see the joy of Jacob's salvation is very real. He's skipping along. It's very real. He has encountered God and God has worked in his life but that does not mean that there won't be ongoing consequences from his past or even that God won't want to continue to work in his life to to refine him and to sanctify him, to make him more godly. And friends, church, sometimes the work of sanctification can be really uncomfortable. Sometimes the, the process of becoming more godly and trusting him more, sometimes that is just really hard, arduous work for us. See, I think there's a, there's a danger among many Christians today. I think that there is a danger that we think that to celebrate the grace of God in our lives, to celebrate it is to assume that there will be no difficulty in our lives or to assume that the, the grace of God only comes to us in ways that, that feel nice and that ways that we enjoy and that feel comfortable. We we love the fact that God does not hold our sins against us, as we should, amen, hallelujah. We love the fact that God forgives us from our past mistakes and does not hold them against us, amen, hallelujah. But we don't tend to like it as much when God wants to change us from our past mistakes or when God lets us feel the consequences from our sinful mistakes. See, Jacob had a conversion experience with God, but he still needed to be sanctified by God. He, he was saved. That, that was absolutely sure. Nothing could change that. He was justified as he believed in God's word. God would always be with him. But that doesn't mean that the actual process of becoming more godly in real life would, would just happen overnight in the same way. No, that, friends, that takes time. And oftentimes it's highly uncomfortable. I actually think that this passage creates a, a pretty helpful picture for the Christian life. Jacob encountered God, and he woke up a new man with a bounce in his step. That that is as profoundly simple as the Christian faith is. We do not have to work to become a Christian. No, we just put our faith in the finished work of Christ, and we will be saved. Amen? But then we hit verse 15 in life, and the pace of the narrative slows down dramatically. But verses 1 to 14 happened very quickly in a month's time. But verses 15 to 30 take over seven years. Seven years of of trusting God, seven years of of needing patience, seven years of, of major points of disappointment, seven years of arduous labor. Church, this is the Christian life. Listen, even though our gracious God does not hold our sins against us, we are fully forgiven even though he does not punish us for our sins, friend, there are still times that he allows us to feel the effect of our sin in order to lead us towards greater repentance and even greater godliness. And so, if you have been a Christian for a long time, but God still seems to be using difficult circumstances from your past to refine you and to grow you, let that simply humble you this morning and remind you of of what a big deal our sin really is. And it comes with consequences. For example, men and women, you, you can't be addicted to pornography for years and years and assume that, that intimacy with your spouse will not be affected in any way. There's, there's weight that God wants to walk us through and, and help us to, to grow through. Men and women, you you can't be a gossip and a slanderer for years and assume that just because you put your faith in Jesus that suddenly your reputation will be perfectly intact and that people won't have a problem with you. You're going to have to walk through the process of asking for forgiveness and being patient with people's suspicion. Men and women, with with legal consequences from your crimes that you have committed or, or the financial debt that you have built from years past that you still have to deal with, God has something for you in that. These are real consequences. This is the pain of our sinful ways and of our scheming. But listen, Redeemer Fellowship, don't lose heart in those things. These things don't mean that God is upset with you. It doesn't mean that he is punishing you. No, the ongoing difficulties from your sin are ways that God is now refining you and changing you. This is good for us. Hebrews chapter 12 says that when we go through these difficult times, that God is treating us as sons and daughters, that he's actually loving us and caring for us, that the wonderful fruit will grow in our lives. This is the pain of our own scheming. Now, very briefly, we also have to consider the pain of other people's scheming. And so as much as we want to read this story and say that Jacob is only getting what he deserves, he, he really kind of is, as much as we tend to, to think that it is right that the deceiver be deceived in this way, we still can't argue with the fact that what happens here is very wrong. Laban sins against Jacob greatly. Not, not only does Laban sin against Jacob, he also sins against Leah and Rachel Folks, can you imagine this? Can you imagine how how painful this must have been for Rachel to to stand by? Maybe she was locked in her tent. I don't know how she didn't speak up in this moment. Also, how painful for Leah as she deals with the consequences of her father's poor leadership. Verse 30 explicitly says that from this point on, Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah. That That is painful. Folks, the painful effects of Laban's sin would be felt in this family for decades to come there would be great division within this home. Laban's sin caused great pain and sorrow in so many people's lives. Folks, isn't this true for us as well? People sin against us. People wrongly hurt us, even abuse us. People mistreat us. Leaders misuse their authority and power to do harm towards those around them. This is a sad result of living in a sin-sick world. And it doesn't always make sense. In fact, many times it makes zero sense to us. Our lives are filled with painful results and consequences, not even of our own mistakes, but of their mistakes and what they've done to us. This is so real. Friend, if you have been hurt by other people's sin, I want you to know, God feel sorrow over that. I know that it hurts. I know that the pain runs very deep, but I love the example of Christ and that he weeps over the pain of those that he loves, even when he knows he's gonna work it together for good. He weeps in your sorrow. He weeps in the midst of your pain. But friends, here too, we need to believe that God is able to use even other people's sin to bring about good. Even when abused and misused, we need to believe that God can and will and, and he will use our painful circumstances to bring about our good and his glory. He is not blind to your pain. He weeps over your pain and he is eager to turn your mourning into rejoicing. He's eager to use even the sinful schemes of others to bring about glorious ends in your life. And you can know today that he will do just that. And friends, that that brings us to our third point this morning, point number three, the hope of God's sovereignty, the hope of God's sovereignty In, in the midst of our pain, the pain of our own mistakes and the pain of other people's mistakes, in the midst of our hurt and our sorrow and our grief. We need hope today, don't we? We need hope. But church, there's hope for us in this text today. First of all, verses 1 to 12, we are reminded of how sovereign God is in all of our journeys. He directs Jacob to the exact place that he needs to be, right at the right time that Rachel arrives with her sheep. God is sovereignly at work, even in the smallest details of our lives. But friends, even more than that, That is not the only way that we see God's sovereignty at work here. We don't just see God's sovereignty in the good verses of verses one to 12. No, we also see his sovereignty at work in the hard verses of 15 to 30. God used even the sad situation to bring about his plan for this world. Consider with me the result of Laban scheming. Jacob marries two women not only that, but we see in verse 24 that Laban gives Zilpah to Leah as a wedding gift. And in verse 29, he gives Bilhah to Rachel as a wedding gift as well. And then in chapter 30, we'll see that Jacob ends up sleeping with both of these women. What, what a circle. What, what, a, what a dramatic thing. In chapter 30, we see that, that from these four women, 12 sons and four daughters will be born. God is so sovereign, church, he's so in control that he is fully able to use even our sinful, scheming ways and our underhanded ways to accomplish his glorious purposes. Not just in little ways. Think about who these children would become. Think about who who these these women would mother. These are the tribes of Israel. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. Through Laban's scheming, God would grow his people. And not just grow his people, but provide profoundly for his people. Listen to this quote from R. Kent Hughes. He says consider this 12 sons and one daughter would be born to the four women Though unloved Leah through unloved Leah and her maid Zilpah eight of the 12 tribes would come Leah would be the mother of Reuben Simeon Levi Judah Issachar and Zebulun despised Leah listen was the hereditary mother of the kingly tribe of Judah and the priestly tribe of Levi This makes her ultimate offspring Moses, David, and the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Indeed, God's work goes on and even thrives amidst human failure. Oh, friends, the salvation and sovereignty of God is superior to the scheming ways of man. God would use the schemes of Laban to bring about extraordinary good for his people, Jesus Jesus would come from one of Leah's own children. God did not overlook Leah in her pain. God does not look over, over you in your pain. Friend, he has a plan. We can have hope today because our God is working all things together for good. Even the evil that is done against you is now an instrument in God's hand to bring about your good and his glory. And he promises that he will never leave you nor forsake you.